Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Hopecast. My name is Kevin Malloy, your host. And as we dive right back into the book of Romans today, I wanted to let you know it's going to be a bit of a recap in the first couple of episodes. That's because if you've been following on this channel for any amount of time, you'll know that we started in the book of Romans, chapter 1, all the way through chapter 8. And then there was an abrupt stop as some things happened. I ended up here in Texas, and we're going to continue our study through the book of Romans. But first, let's make sure that we understand the context. Let's make sure that we know exactly where we came from before we dive into chapter 9. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, let's go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 1. And we'll dive through some of the highlights uh, through the first few chapters together today. Then in episode 2, we will do the second part of our recap and bring us right back up to the end of chapter 8. So grab your Bible. Let's look at Romans chapter 1. Now again, this is a recap. If you want to see all that that this has to offer, uh, I encourage you to look at the past episodes here on this channel, uh, sermon episodes, and go ahead and dive in, starting in Romans chapter 1, and that will give you the in-depth study that you're looking for. Uh, and this, just again, a recap. So you recall in Romans chapter 1 what Paul did. He was reaching out to the church in Rome, a church that he did not plant, but he cared about and wanted to make sure that they understood the gospel in all its fullness. And so he wrote this letter to the church, hoping that he would come and visit this church one day. And so he wrote this letter to the church, and he talks about the good news of Christ is good for the people in Rome. He had a great desire to go there. Then when we get to Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 16, Paul says this. It's his thesis statement for the entire book. Romans 1, 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For it is God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so this is his thesis statement for the entire letter. He is not ashamed of the gospel because it's God's power for salvation. And so from this launching point, you recall, Paul then goes on to talk about the guilt of the world, that we all stand guilty. When we get to chapter 5, of course, he unpacks that a lot more about we are either in Adam or we are in Christ. One of these two is our federal head, but we're not there yet. Here, he just wants to lay the foundation for the condition of the world. I think this is something that we can see very readily in today's world, that it is, it is so far away from God's design. And the reason is because of the fall we read about way back in Genesis chapter 3. Paul writes this, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. And that is verses, uh, verse 19, uh, 18 and 19 of chapter 1. In other words, what Paul was saying to the church in Rome, and, and by extension to us, is this, that there are those who suppress the truth. And God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. He goes on to talk about God's invisible attributes that are clearly seen since the creation of the world and being understood what he has made. As a result, 
people are without excuse. Verse 21, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, I think this is pretty important foundation, instead, their thinking became nonsense. And their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the cravings of their heart to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served something created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. And so we find here a picture of why the world is the way it is. The wisdom of the world is nonsense. And people's minds have been darkened to the truth. And from this point and from this foundation, Paul goes on to say that this idolatry then turns to depravity and it spirals down. Verse 28, they did not think it worthy or worthwhile to acknowledge God. So God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. And he goes on from there to describe all of these things. Concluding the end of this first chapter, Paul says, although they knew full well God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice and we stand uh, today in a culture that's really at war uh, with itself. On the one hand, we have an agenda that's being promoted that um, is ungodly. And, and there's a variety of different branches to that ungodly agenda. But we also have on the other side those that say, wait, you can't, you can't promote that. It's godless. Here we see why that is. They have a worthless mind. The world is under wrath. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 17, that he did not come into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because the world stands condemned already. Because of the fall, because of our sin nature and our sin choices, the world stands condemned already. Here we see what that looks like. And as we pursue greater acts of idolatry and depravity, not only do we see that the world applauds those that practice these things, but as we read elsewhere in the New Testament, they wonder why you won't dive in with them. As Paul goes on to chapter 2 in this recap, we know that God, about God's righteous judgment, um, Paul goes on to say, listen, See, if you judge, you're without excuse because we're all in the same boat. All have fallen short of the glory of God, which he gets to in chapter 3. But here he's saying, since if we judge, we also do the same things. So we have to be very careful that we are not standing in, in judgment and condemnation over people and saying, you are, you are worthless and filthy without at the same time examining ourselves. And that's what uh, Jesus talks about, right, in Matthew, when he did, talked about the Sermon on the Mount, that judge not lest you be judged by the same measure. 
See, we, Paul goes on to say in verse 2 of chapter 2, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. Do you really think any of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that's the key thing, that you will escape God's judgment? That's the question. If you're judging one person, but you're also practicing idolatry, if you're, if you're judging someone else's debauchery, but you're also involved in debauchery, you think you'll escape? That's what he's asking. And then he goes on to say, if we despise the riches of his kindness, restraint and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance, though we deserve wrath and judgment, his loving kindness is leading us to repentance. But because of your hardness, unrepentant heart, Paul goes on, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. He will repay each one of according to his works. And so as he talks about the works of the world, the Greek, the Gentile world, and the idolatry, the debauchery, and how we all stand guilty before God, lest his Jewish readers feel like they are safe, he moves on to talk about how the Jewish people are also in violation of the law. He says in verse 17 of chapter 2, Now if you call yourself a Jew and rest in the law, boast in God, know his will, and approve the things that are superior, being instructed from the law. And if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the full expression of knowledge and truth in the law, you then, who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal. Do you steal? You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob their temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And what Paul is getting at is this, that we all stand guilty before God. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're, you're, you are slave or free, male or female, we all stand condemned before God already. And that's his point. He goes on to talk to his Jewish audience to say that circumcision benefits you if you serve the law. But if you are a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. In other words, what he's getting at is that if you put your faith in your culture, in your ceremony, in your religiousness, and yet you break the law, then you're no different than everyone else. That's what he's getting at. In verse 28, he says, For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly. And true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. The contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. That man's praise is not from men, but from God. Which reminds me of John 8.39. And if I go back to John 8.39. Uh, this is where Jesus is speaking. And he um, is is, of course, um, having conflict with those who are very religious at the time. And here's what he says. I speak what I've seen in the presence of the Father. Therefore, you do what you have heard from your father. He's speaking to Pharisees here. And they reply, our father is Abraham. Here's Jesus' response. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. 
But now you're trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. And so they complain and say, we weren't born out of wedlock. We were not born out of sexual immorality. Then they say, we have one father, God. To which Jesus says to them, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He goes on to say a little bit later on in chapter 8 to these same people, the one who's from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you're not from God. So you see, the conflict here was that people were putting their faith in their religiousness, putting their faith in their Jewishness, putting their faith in their circumcision or their tradition or their status as God's people and not putting their faith in God. They were putting their faith in everything outward rather than being circumcised of the heart, rather than being set apart and following God. And so what Jesus was getting at is the same thing that we see Paul talking about, saying a person is not a Jew, chapter 2, verse 28, a person is not a Jew who's one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who's one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the Spirit, not the letter. That man's praise is not from men, but from God. And so we're going to get back to this as we get done with our recap. And we start to dive into chapter 9. We'll come back to this same passage. It's pretty key. Uh, But he then, Paul, then in chapter 3, starts to ask the question. It's probably the question you will be asking, or I would be asking, if he's saying, well, all the world is condemned because of their wickedness and under God's wrath. If we all are sinners, if we all are in need of redemption, all in need of the hope that's found in Christ, whether you're a Gentile or a Jew, then the question is, then what advantage is there to being a Jew at all? If if you don't have an in because of your Jewishness, then what is the advantage which is exactly what Paul asked at the beginning of chapter 3. He says, so what advantage does the Jew have? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Why, why do this? Why be set apart in this way? Paul's answer is this. It's considerable in, in every way. First, they were entrusted with the spoken words of God. In other words, God's people, the Jewish people, were set apart to be entrusted with God's word, the scripture, all that would point to Christ. goes on to say, what then, if some did not believe, will their unbelief cancel God's faithfulness? Absolutely not. God must be true, even if everyone is a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and triumph when you judge. And so what he's getting at is, but, but what if they just didn't fulfill their call? God is still faithful and had been faithful to the Jewish people. So he goes on to say, the whole world is guilty before God, which is his point. You can't put your trust in your religious background, your family background, in my grandfather, great-grandfather, even my parents. They're all believers in Christ. And my faith is I was raised that way. He's saying it doesn't matter that our circumcision in the heart, our being set apart as Abraham's children, comes from our faith in God personally. So he's, he's getting at that. The whole world is guilty before God. Are we any better? Yes, not at all. 
where we previously charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. And then he, he says this, as it is written. And what he's going to do in chapter 3, starting in verse 10, is unveil a string of pearls, of things that roll into the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. Very familiar passage here where Paul says there is no one righteous. No, not one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become useless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is us. It's you and me. It's, it's both of us. It's all of us. No one is righteous. That We cannot uphold the law. I was speaking with someone recently who was um, you know, worried about hypocrisy in the church. And I, I had to pause and just talk with her about the reality that no one is righteous. Not even one. See the point, and she would say, but you don't obey this law from the Old Testament or that law or this law or whatever. How do you pick and choose which to obey? And I said, well, let's not confuse the law and the gospel. Let's make sure we understand that the law was put there to point out our sin and our desperate need for Christ, our, un- our inability to accomplish it. Let's remember that the laws, the point of the law was to show God's holiness and our unholiness and to help us recognize that by faith we must trust in God alone. So that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not of works. We cannot earn it. We cannot be good enough. And so when people get confused with the law and the gospel, they start saying things like, well, you didn't, you don't cover your hair during worship. Why is that? Well, what about this other obscure law or that, you know, dietary law and you're not doing those things? Well, those laws, you have to understand, were important at this time to set apart a people to reveal God to the nations, but more than that, to show our inability to do these things. That we cannot be holy and set apart. That we cannot accomplish all of these laws. We just can't. What we need is redemption and help. We need someone who is able to do what we're not able to do. We need we need help from outside of us, extranos, right? Outside of us. So by faith in Christ, he becomes our federal head outside of us and he represents us before the Father. Now we're getting to that in chapter 5 down the road, but we're going to try and get through just this part in this episode of chapter 3. So let's let's try and get through this right now and then we're going to see more about that in chapter 5. See, Paul goes on to say, Now we know that whatever the law says speaks to those who are subject to the law so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no no one will be justified in his sight by works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. That's what we just talked about. Cannot become righteous and holy and justified by the law. Rather, the law gives us knowledge of sin. 
This is why Paul continues to say, But now, apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets, that is, God's righteousness, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all who believe, since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's verse 23. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as a propitiation through faith in his blood, in other words, not only a replacement, but a reconciling sacrifice. To demonstrate his righteousness, because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. So the question then becomes... What can we, what we, what can we pat ourselves on the back about if it's all about Christ? If He's our Redeemer, if He's the one who saves us, if He's, He is the Author and Finisher of our faith, if He's the one who justifies and sanctifies, and He's the one who also glorifies, if He's the one who calls us and wakes us from the dead deadness of sin, then where's boasting? What what am I supposed to? Celebrate? How can I say, yeah, but I'm doing this in a great way? But look at me. I'm, where is boasting if it's all Christ? Which is exactly what Paul says next. Where then is boasting? Verse 27, chapter 3. It is excluded. It's out of here. It's gone. By what kind of law? By one of works? No. On the contrary, by a law of faith. For we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. But is it for Jews only? Is he not also for the for Gentiles? Yes, for Gentiles too, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. We do we then cancel the law? Through faith, absolutely not. See, the law is not canceled, is it? It still stands, revealing God's holiness, revealing His desire for us. We don't cancel the law through faith, absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. We we pursue holiness not because it gains us a better standing, because our standing is centered in Christ alone, but we. We pursue the law because it pleases our Father. And because we have relationship. That's why Jesus would say, if you know me, you will keep my commandments. Because if you know him, in your relationship with him, your heart's desire will be to be like him, to repent from sin, to pursue the things that are important to him. So, of course, you know, Paul is is making sure that they know this is you know, the gospel is not antinomian. It's not that we throw out the law. The law has a purpose, and the law guides us, becomes a guide for our life in Christ. We don't cast it aside and say, well, that's it. It's all grace. Well, it is all grace. But because we love him, we uphold the law. We're not saved by it, but it is a guide for us because we want to be like him. We want to be transformed. So that's chapters 1, 2, and 3 as a summary. 
And it's a setup that Paul is preparing to show us the beauty of the gospel. He's now going to turn to Abraham next and talk about how Abraham was justified apart from the law. He's then going to talk about how the promise to Abraham was granted, was given through faith and not by works. And then when we get over to chapter 5, of course, we're going to see this picture of how we're death reigned through Adam and life comes through Christ, these federal heads, and then as we roll into chapter 6, the new life that we have in Christ. So there's more to come in this recap, but this is going to bring us to the end of our first installment of the Hopecast as we recap chapters 1, 2, and 3. So make sure that you like and subscribe so you don't miss the next recap where we talk about chapters 4, 5, 6, and roll into 7 and 8. It's a bit of an overview. You don't want to miss it, so make sure you like and subscribe. And until next time, may God bless you richly. And I hope you find hope through God's Word. God bless, guys.